Welcome to Through the Lens of Christ, a podcast designed to have conversation about things that are happening in culture, questions that we may have theologically, um, and other questions that impact our day in and day out lives. Our desire is to be able to build these conversations and to be able to get us to critically think, not just about the events that are happening, but how do we see these events through the lens of Christ. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I hope it helps you to critically think through issues in our lives. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine, Adam. How are you? Good, good. good. I'm, I'm Adam Baker. I'm here with Steve Douster, uh, Ashley Vorwerk as our fearless producer. And today we are going to be talking about uh, aspects of Catholicism, specifically around the, the action of confession, um, penance, the, the idea of, of uh, re- individual repentance, but how does the church play into that role? Um, what is the church's responsibility? What's our responsibility? Uh, and, you know, understanding that that even in, in our little neck of the woods, West Bend, Wisconsin, um, we have a very high concentration of uh, people who were, who were raised in a Catholic uh, faith, uh, and even people who were raised in a Lutheran tradition. And so that's it, it's different from what we believe in some of our practices. And so I think it's good and important to talk about this, especially the aspect of confession, um, because, and I'll, I'll oversimplify, but the idea that we go to a confessional, we stand before a priest, we confess our sins, they absolve us, we, we take a couple of actions, and then we start over. Um, and we don't practice that. Now, it's not that we don't practice confession. We'll talk about that. Um, but we don't practice it in this in this formal way, which we see existing in a high church model. And so we want to talk about confession. We want to talk about what it is. And um, we'll actually get into a little bit among, I'm sure, many other things. But the idea of where that comes from, even in the Catholic tradition and the idea of the um, how the church hierarchy has such uh, spiritual emphasis over the body and so we'll, we'll talk about some of those aspects so anything else to, to frame it up steve no there's a lot to it uh, we mm-hmm. should just dive in i think yeah so i i think to to start us i i want to jump into why why uh, from a catholic perspective is confession set up in the way that it is why is it done through the church why do they why does absolution and and i think and i, and I want to be a little careful because I, I i'm pretty well read on catholicism but it's not my background so neither I, one of us have been roman catholics in the right, past, right? Yeah. right so i, I don't want to um, get anything incorrect so I'll, I'll try to be um, gracious in all of this but um, from a, a high church model, what we see happening in, in the Catholic Church is that you've, you've got a hierarchy that builds from the, the congregant all the way up to the Pope. Um, the Pope being the, the Holy See, the Pope being the one who um, gains divine revelation from God and speaks for God to the church. And not in everything he says, but right. Times. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what we see that that power then being drawn from God down through the church, down into the pope, down through the hierarchy of the church and then ending up ultimately down in the, the priests and the individual bodies. And so somebody desires to be to have confession because they know that they've sinned. They go to confession. They confess their sins, they're, they're given absolution. How they're capable of giving absolution, how the church is capable, is really through what we see in Matthew 16, um, really in verse 19, but the scriptures surrounding it, where Jesus is asking Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares 
who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah. And uh, Christ's response to Peter is that he says, you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he says that he has the, he's giving Peter the keys to the kingdom and says that whatever Peter uh, binds or looses on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. And so the, the idea is that, that Peter being this first kind of pope figure and that he now has control at having the keys to bind on earth and bind in heaven, he now has control over uh, basically who is absolved, who is absolved of sin or not. Now, again, from a Catholic point of view, they would not say that Peter gives absolution as much as saying that, that they acknowledge that God does, that we only find absolution through Christ, but yet... Peter can, or the, the popes can, or the church hierarchy can, confirm or deny who does not receive it. So would it be fair to say that in that, in that instance, the Roman Catholic Church says, well, Jesus gave the keys personally to Peter as the first pope? Yes, yes. definitely. Right. So it's, yes. it's or his it's, keys, not right. keys given broadly to the church in general or to pastors or to—but it's to Peter. Right, yeah. right. And so now Peter has that authority. Those keys are passed— um, from pope to pope to pope, yep. and then that authority of those keys, because obviously the pope's only one person, that authority of those keys then gets flowed down into those that the the pope has consecrated as worthy of uh, fulfilling that task. Yes. So I guess just to start, like, what do we see differently in that text? Because that text is there, and so what do we see as the keys? What do we see as Peter's role? And and then how does that flow into the church? Well. We don't see it as a personal giving of the keys. So we, we see it, I think, as a giving of the keys to the church, and the church is to use them under the authority of the elders or the leadership of the church in a different type of structure that's not um, kind of top-down with one one person, one man that's been given a popehood, right, and flowing through this hierarchy. It's given to the church itself. So, I mean, I have it, I have it, and I don't, I don't know the, the Greek in this because I don't know Greek, but I have heard different interpretations and understanding of the translation between a little rock or a big rock, mm. Peter being the stone, right? He's yeah. this, is he this big fortress foundation stone that the church is built on, or is he a little stone that's part of the foundation of, that Christ has built into his church? I've heard it being yeah. that, it be, as being a misinterpretation or misunderstanding, if you will, um, of course, they, the Roman Catholic Church does some other tricks with them and some of those things that we wouldn't yep. wouldn't like, but yeah. that's my general assessment. Am I far well, off from where you, what your understanding is? No, 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 definitely. I, um, before I answer that, I want to go to kind of the rabbit trail you brought up about the the little stone is because I, it's, rabbit trails are our business, it's, right? <laughs> I just I like it. So because actually, so Peter's the one who says that you're the you're the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. If you go to First Peter, First Peter's the one who talks about Jesus Christ being the living stone and right. we being the little stones. Different words, oh, right? Used, yes. But it's interesting that Peter, if he if he truly felt that he was the manifestation of of that some of that power, that he wouldn't address it. The way he he himself addresses it is to say that we're all just living stones being built together. And so I think it's a really good point that you bring up. So that's the evangelical argument, right? That it's not to a person, it's to the church, and this stone difference is different. Yes. Yeah, and and again, to talk about what are the keys, I think we have to look at all of Scripture to try to understand what does he mean by the key? Like, what's the key given that binds and looses? What's the the key given? And is that key, once we'll define what that is, but once we understand what that key is, is that key given to us in— a person, right, in terms of there's one person and now they distribute that, or is it given to every person individually and uniquely? So, so, and, and what is the key? What are the keys? What do they yep. do? 
Um, we could spend a long time on this podcast talking about all these things. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. So, so I think our understanding as evangelicals, not mm-hmm. Roman Catholics, are that the key is dispersed to the church leader. We would say the church leadership, to, to people who are elders in the church, pastors, elders, leadership in the church, commi- yeah. known, um, I'll say proven in an earthly way, right, or, or a... In a, in, a, in a physical way to us as being true believers, um, solid members of the church that can wield those keys. Um, and, and, and the keys themselves, I mean, if you think of the keys as, you know, letting people, I think is letting people in and out of heaven or, or in and out of hell, essentially. Not that we do that or, or, or profess to do that as evangelicals. We only know what we know. We don't know the heart. And the Roman Catholic Church doesn't know the heart either. Yep. So, so it's, it's a you know, kind of a temporal uh, and, and interpersonal understanding to the best of our ability as believers in Christ, spirit-led people, um, defining who is the church and who is not the church, both in corporate sense and also in individual sense. Is yeah. that which is that yeah. kind of close to what you would say? Yeah, and I I would I look at the keys as the gospel, right? That the keys are is are the gospel message, and that that is what unlocks heaven for us is is our faith in the truth of Christ. And so the only thing that we're binding or loosing is we're basically just affirming who believes in the truth of Christ. Yes. And so that key isn't ours to give as much as it's been given and now we acknowledge the key. Yeah, so so it's a it's a, a an affirmation of a true gospel church or a true gospel understanding along with some sort of profession and understanding that this person is in or not aligned to that gospel. And we don't do that perfectly because we're not perfect people. Yes. Yeah, and so that brings in the idea of confession. So the reason that that confession needs to happen is uh, confession is a a biblical concept, and confession is important and critical for us individually to confess to God, to confess to each other, to be able to willingly confess our sins. And it's something that's not really comfortable for us to do because we don't like acknowledging some of those things. And sometimes it's not appropriate to do publicly. But— the idea of confession with trusted other believers, the idea of confessing to uh, family and friends who are believers, the idea of confessing back to God where what we've done is a critical act of repentance. And so we, we don't want to diminish the need for confession. The difference is, is that I don't believe that anybody needs to come to a, a pastor or elder and confess and then there, there then is some uh, reconciliation between God and this person or them and the church. And, but the idea is that confession needs to be done, but there's not a, a magical gift given from any of the pastors or elders or leaders who can then say, now that you've confessed, I now bestow on you some level of grace or confer salvation on you. So, so there's one mediator between God and man, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Roman Catholic Church would say, well, sure. We are standing in the place of Christ on earth, and therefore we have to be in between because we're actually representing Jesus. We would, as evangelicals, say, no, no, no. We have the ability to go directly to Christ. He, yeah. he personally is our mediator, which kind of goes to the, the other difference. So like, you know, it could be another rabbit trail that we probably shouldn't go down. But the, but the, but the personal nature of the born-again evangelical type of faith, as, as opposed to a corporate sense where— well, I'm in the church, and the church is going to be saved structurally here on earth, and therefore I'll, I'll be ushered into heaven as part of the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, we would say it in a different way that we're, we're part of the universal church if we're believers in Christ in his body, connected to him, but it's an individual, personal thing that gets us attached to Jesus. Is that 
Yes. Somewhere down the road there. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the the um, aspect of how all of that fits together is what people are trying to struggle through. I mean, we we see in uh, we see it in First Peter and we see it in Revelation that uh, we are considered to be priests. Right. We are we, individually. We're, we're a holy nation, a holy priesthood. Right. And so we they it is true that there is one mediator. But the, the question is that and the priests do serve in some role of of aligning us to to Christ and, and bring us before that mediator. But then who are the priests? Right. And it's far more broad than just the people in positions. Yeah, I think would, would you almost call them co-mediators or, or at least some sort some sense there as opposed to just a separate mediator? Yes. I, I'm, I don't know what I don't know what your theory is about how that all works out. I think of that in terms of Old Testament, New Testament and the way the Old Testament function with Israel as, as God's chosen people, per se, as his church back then. And what I kind of see in that is the Roman Catholic Church hasn't gone far enough into be a New Covenant, New Testament world. So when Jesus comes, they don't make as sharp a divide in, in church polity and the way things work as we would as evangelicals. So the way I see it is they're looking back, well, yeah, we had priests in the Old Testament, We've got priests in the New Testament. We, you know, we circumcised, you know, the whole infant baptism thing, right? We circumcised in the Old Testament. We, we baptize infants in the, in, in the New Testament. That's the direct correlation. And so they haven't moved into the same realm that we live into with an Old Covenant or Old Testament and New Covenant, New Testament world. Yeah, and, and uh, I think— They're living in the Old, Tus- Old Testament much more so yes. than we would yes. say we are. Yes, yep. Yeah, and I think some of that goes back to a, an understanding of, of the book of Hebrews. And, you know, Hebrews a does a book. Right. I mean, does a great job of laying out. And, and again, depending on who wrote it, I, 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 I see it as Paul having written it because he is so he's so consumed in that old Jewish culture and has such an understanding. And it really is taking us from that old culture into the new mm-hmm. and, and talks about Christ being the high priest and and why that's important and the idea of sacrifice and why that's important. And basically systematically walks through all of the Old Testament behaviors and, and thoughts and beliefs, and then moves them forward into Christ. Yes. And that's, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think that we see in the Catholic Church this full movement forward into the New Testament and an understanding of who we are now. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's a huge problem for the Roman Catholic Church. It's, it's, a, it's a stumbling block to faith in a lot of ways, the way that's all, that all comes about. Yeah. So, so yeah. confession is—so confession— well, what's the problem with evangelicals in confession? I mean, so so we have our own issues. Yep. We don't confess. We don't. And we, we, we don't. I mean, I, th- I think we just, oh, Jesus' blood covered it. I'm saved. Let's just keep going forward right. and not lingering yep. over our sin. Is that, yep. is, that, is that a problem that we have? Yeah, I think and it ties into the whole idea of confession, repentance, penitence, like all of those pieces together. We do not do well. No. Uh, and they're kind of, we've been trained to think of them as downers. And so we, we really live, especially today, we live in this culture of a church should be a, a high, right? That we should, and, and honestly, if, if completely different rabbit trail, but it goes back to the, the old um, quote attributed to Marx, but the idea that the religion is opium for the masses. And that's kind of what we've made it, right? Is, is that we, religions here, and when I define religion, I define it broadly, but it, let's talk Christianity for a minute. Like Christianity, Christ in particular, is here to make us feel good about us. Mm-hmm. And so if I leave church not feeling good about me, then the church has failed and the pastor's not very good and I'm not going to go back there. I came to feel good about me. And so we've talked about it a lot, this idea of self-worship and self-idolization. That's exactly what it is. Uh, confession and repentance and penitence brings us into the right place, which is that, man, 
I I can only feel good about me in knowing that I've been rescued and redeemed and reconciled to God by Christ. And so what's been done in me gives me some sense of assurance and confidence and but it's not about me it's just what's been done to me and so then i can operate out of that truth and then i can be really excited about what's going on and and but i can't get there without a good heart of confession and repentance yeah or i'm trying to think how to say this so so my the depth of my relationship and understanding and love for christ um, is a measure of how I feel about myself and my own sin and what he's done for me. So if I don't understand the depth of my sin and my depravity and what I've actually done in committing sins and repented, t- turned from them, re- confessed and repented from them, um, I have a limited understanding of who Jesus is and my, I have a limited ability to love him and to serve him the way I should and to worship him. So yes. I think a lot of our challenge is, first of all, identifying sin in our own lives because we're not in the word and not understanding what Jesus would have for us. Um, as, as a good, as a common good for humanity and for us as individuals, and then not repenting of it, not, not, not knowing. Well, the repentance probably doesn't even happen oftentimes. Uh, we just think, oh, I made a mistake, or I didn't fulfill my potential, or, or I should have done better than that, and I didn't, and that was, a, that was a ding on me somehow, when really we don't see it as what it really is, is rebellion. And it's, it's our own, it's own personal rebellion on our own. It's not just a failure. It's a total deconstruction of, the, of what we've done. We're, we're just a mess. And so we have to repent from that. Repentance is a gift. God gives us that gift of repentance. And if we haven't been repenting, we have to wonder if, why haven't we been given that gift? Um, and, do, and do I need that gift? And have I ever received that gift for the first time? Because if I've never repented, then I've, I've never become a Christian. I've never become a believer, not knowing who I am, who he is, what he's done for me, and in the measure that I need to be to be saved. So that repentance and, and confession is huge, and it has to be done for a first time, and then it's done for the rest of our lives thereafter. Um, and it should be done daily. It's not just moving forward and not looking back or not. The Christianity is not a... Um, what would you say? Not just an action religion or activity religion. It encompasses all of us, our, our mind, our body, our spirit, our intellect. We're all to be held captive by Christ and to blow through life um, without having a thought about what we've done in a, in a biblical way and just moving forward in action is not what we're called to do, and that's not Christianity in my mind. Yeah, we, we actually um, we do once a month these kind of discipleship intensive classes we've got one coming up on saturday and what i'm going to be talking about is the shema the the idea that we you know the lord our god lord is one and the the idea that we love him with all of our heart mind soul and strength you know jesus christ said that himself and mark that 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 is the greatest commandment and so when we think about how we should be how we should view god how we should love well when we talk about what is it with all of our what does it mean to love them with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength? What does that actually look like? And I don't, I don't think we've even begun to approach what mm-hmm. that looks like. And and the idea that a confession and repentance brings us into a right place. I think if if to your point about us not, if we're not willing to go to confession, if we're not and go to confession, I mean that personally, right? Yeah, not, right. Yeah, not right. to a booth, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but if we're not willing to 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 confess, if we're not willing to repent, 
then it goes back to what is our perception of God, right? What is our perception of the mediator? If we think that he's flawed in some way, if we think that God is going to hear our repentance and still judge us unjustly, if we think that Christ isn't a strong enough mediator to redeem my sin, then I should be scared and worried, and I I shouldn't want to go into confession and repentance. But if I truly believe that our God is faithful and those who genuinely repent and turn to him, he will never turn away from. If I truly believe that Christ is the great mediator and that his sin has covered everything and that his grace is sufficient for us, then I should desire to go in confession and repentance because it's the only way that I can be made whole. And so I, I think we just have a, a misunderstanding of, of exactly who Christ is and exactly what God is capable of. I, I think that's true. And I, I think also from the other side, though, we don't really have an understanding of what we actually do and how, how much we've failed. We think we can fix ourselves. I made this mistake and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go back and redo it. I'm going to, I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to, I'm going to rebuild it myself and, and not have to turn to Christ. I think that's a big problem too. So it's, it's us having confidence in our own abilities and our own works and our own, own, um, you know, thoughtfulness, however we're thinking through things that we don't need Jesus in the first place. So if we don't need him in the first place, then it doesn't even matter if he's able to or not able to absolve us of our sins. So I think it does go both ways. Yes, definitely. And so, you know, as we talk about this idea of of confession and repentance and and, and aspects of the the Catholic Church, um, I think there's other things from a, a high church model that we still need to consider beyond just confession and and how that plays in. I mean, it's the idea of of sacraments, which to me are, are a significant change between us and the Catholic Church. So the way that we view communion, we just did uh, baptisms the other day, the way that we view baptisms, even the way that we view marriage, even like all of these aspects are seen from a, a Catholic perspective as conferring grace or in some way conferring salvation to us. And we don't see it that way. We consider all of these things to be ordinances. And so the, the fact that they're, they're symbolic representations of the amazing goodness of God and his uh, wonderful blessings that he's pouring out on us, but they're, they're, uh, uh, as I said, ordinance is symbolic. Yeah. And so we, we need to be careful that we don't get wrapped up in process and we don't get wrapped up in in kind of the, the pomp and circumstance and take these symbolic gestures beyond what they should be. Because then again, we're diminishing what's actually been done at the cross and through the, his death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, I'm trying to... Boy, how do you distill all that down, the differences between the Roman Catholic hierarchy and structure and evangelical? I, I think it is... On the evangelical side, it's more the pure Christ at the center of everything, mm-hmm. the pure gospel, the poor, pure Jesus right there. In the Roman Catholic Church, it's this Jesus that's surrounded and shrouded by all of this, all of this hierarchy, all of these vestments, these ornaments, these different procedures, and, and the church itself that actually hides Christ in the middle of all that, and you're in that, like you're in the middle of this bush trying to find your way to Christ, when, when we're looking for Jesus the tree that's standing out there with his, with his branches open for us to come to, come to him personally and, yes. and, and, and touchy-feely, he's right there, just him. Right. Um, I, there's right. a big difference in that. So, And I can see why, I can see why people would gravitate one to another. The question is, which one is the biblical example, or is there a third one? Um, but I do think the Christ alone situation yeah. is really Jesus standing there, him, himself, 
showing himself off, his glory, the glory of the Father showing through the face of Jesus Christ, the closest thing we'll know to God in the flesh, because he was in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, as opposed to this big architectural church with all the windows and all of the saints and all of the priests and all the all of the bells and smells and all that kind of stuff that goes on, um, Christ can be in there, but he's harder to see. Um, or, or, or this, it's, I don't know how to describe it. That's, that's something like that. Yeah. Oh, I think there's, there's something to that. I mean, you, you look at the, uh, uh, the liturgy or the, the presentation of the service on, uh, at mass, you even go to, uh, uh, Orthodox Church, and you know both both of these churches, and depending on who you talk to, claim to be the original, right? Sure. And so you, you go back. I like I understand why they they have services set up the way that they do, and honestly, there's a tremendous beauty in the way that they do there their is. service. Um, but again, to your point, is their service, is their liturgy, is it more beautiful than Christ? And I think they're what they're trying to do is good and that they're trying to have appropriate reverence. They're trying to even go back. You, we talked earlier about going back to the Old Testament. You're going back into this kind of um, uh, ritualistic aspect of the Holy of Holies and how do we come into the temple and what's the process. And yes. So you've got all of that, which is really the idea of reverence for God and, and awe of him. They're trying to build the beauty of who Christ is. And uh, so I get it. But that's still our trust in seeing the beauty of Christ rests in the church. And that is not the, the biblical model of what we've been told. Right. The ability to see Christ rests in God opening our eyes. And when he has our eyes opened, we never see in Scripture where it says, now you need to go and go back to Peter or go back to the rock or go back to somebody who has the keys. We merely see that once our eyes are open to see Christ, we just need to respond to that. Right. In obedience, baptize, you know, confess and be saved, be baptized, join the church. Right. Um, be a part of it. That's yeah. That's all important. Yes. So, I, again, I, I think my my encouragement in this is no matter what background that you've come out of, even if you didn't really come out of a faith background, um, the freeing part of what we believe is that we're not tied to anything else. We, we constantly throughout Scripture, especially Paul, talks about how we're we're no longer slaves and we're not captive to the, to these things, and that we're we're free and free in what free to do what we want free to continue to live how we want to live no we're right. free to pursue christ we're, we're free to to with every ounce of our being to pursue a holy god and that is freeing and i don't need to wait for a, a pastor or a priest or pope or bishop to actually tell me that i now i'm freed and i can go a little further or this is the path i need to take now we should have guidance from each other and we should be leading each other and there needs to be shepherds and that's all true but the freeing part is that as an individual believer in christ when i when my eyes are opened and i respond in faith that at that point i am free to pursue what is best yeah, I'm going to double back a little bit. I, I, you're talking about that, and it made me think of something, Christ standing out there and the church being this not clear representation. The Word of God, the simplicity of the Word of God, also the challenges that are associated with yeah. understanding, which I totally get, and people misinterpret it, as compared to all of the the church to find that, right? So you've got the traditions that have been built and all that. Um, complexity and simplicity, not that either one is super simple, but there is a complexity and simplicity difference there. The beauty that surrounds it in the Roman Catholic Church, they're trying to show it in a different way, um, but the beauty of the Bible stands forth all by itself, and and following that and understanding that for ourselves is important. Um, 
we are we are held, we are individually responsible for understanding the Bible, understanding the gospel, and responding to it. We don't rely on the pastor or the priest or the hierarchy to do it for us, and where we're just included in that system. Yes, and it, again, it is a beautiful freeing concept that we are freed together to pursue Christ, which is why it's so important to be in a body, in a family together, so that we can learn together and grow together and understand more of who Christ is. Yes. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Adam.